I wonder if you turn with me to the a letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 15, please. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. The Lord willing, and uh, I will pray further into it, but um, I may go through the book of Ephesians with you um, on a Sunday morning in the future. Um, But for now, just for this week, the theme of the message that I feel the Lord has given to me is the hope of the believer. The hope of the believer. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling." And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Shall we have a further word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together this day, we are asking you that you would anoint the speaking of your word to us. Lord, would you speak to your people? Would you encourage your people? Would you bless your people? Lord, all that you're wanting to say to your people, Lord, would you be pleased to convey those truths to us all? Lord, we don't need to hear, as it were, from a man or man's opinions. What we need to hear is your counsel. We ask of you, Lord, it would please you. Lord, even now, to deliver us from anything that would hold us back from speaking or hearing the word of God, effectively this day. Deal with the enemy, Lord, that would seek to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we ask that you would grant us faith to the full measure of all your intentions with us this day. Grant us faith, Lord, for the speaking of your word. I believe, therefore I spoke. Oh God, may this be the testimony. May it be also our testimony, Lord, that faith will be mixed with our hearing. That, Lord, we might respond spiritually to what you are saying to us and might be changed by the Spirit himself. Lord, we ask for that anointing that you give. By faith we stand into it under the speaking and hearing of your word and we will give you all the praise and all the glory for hearing this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 then. Now, The burden of my heart really is to share with you or to speak to you about this matter of the hope 
of the believer. In this particular verse, Paul says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What a wonderful thing this is. The servant of God who is really in difficulty himself as he writes this letter is praying for others, praying for the saints. And he goes on to disclose to us what he is actually praying for. And we find it in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that's the first thing I want to say. Notice that when we come to the matter of the knowledge of Christ, we are not speaking about something that is merely in the realm of academic understanding, but rather in the realm of spiritual revelation. We need to realize that just accumulating knowledge, head knowledge about God of itself won't necessarily change us. Of course, we want to be those that study the Lord. We want to be those that focus our minds on learning more about Him. But the way we come to the true knowledge of the Lord is by means of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, the word revelation from the Greek is a very interesting word. It's this Greek word, apocalypsis. It literally means an uncovering or an unveiling. It speaks of a disclosure or it speaks of an appearing. The word is often used in reference to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. You'll find this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13. The word actually comes up there in relation to the return of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 13. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, ye, shall, ye may rather be glad also with exceeding joy. Another reference is back a few pages in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. <clears throat> Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is apocalypsis. It comes up in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So we see that this word speaks of a disclosing, an unveiling that must come to us. And before we have that unveiling, it's the, as though the knowledge is blocked from us. We can't receive it by mere sort of uh, uh, effort of willpower 
or by academic excellence. What we need is the Holy, or who we need rather, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reveals the truth to us in such a way whereby it's experiential. You see, when you read in books about a subject, it doesn't necessarily affect you inwardly. But when you receive revelation from the Lord, it will affect you inwardly. There's times I can remember where I've looked in the Word and suddenly the Lord has revealed something of Himself to me through the Scriptures by the Spirit. And it was literally an experience of the Lord. Now every believer, everyone born again of the Spirit of God has been given an an anointing to be able to know God. The unbeliever doesn't have that. And we've been given the Spirit of God whereby to understand the things of God. So going back to Ephesians chapter 1, let's remember that when we come to the matter of the hope of the believer and understanding the things of God, we won't be able to merely by intellectual ability. We can only truly come into a full knowledge of the Lord by means of the Spirit revealing Christ to us. Now, the word uh, knowledge here in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, back in Ephesians again, and uh, verse 17, is epignosis. And it means a full knowledge, a full, a, like a complete knowledge. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the complete knowledge of Jesus Christ. You do get another Greek word in, the, in, in relation to knowledge, which you find, for example, in 2 Peter chapter 1, where it says, to virtue add knowledge. Now, the word knowledge there is gnosis. It means to inquire into, to get to know. So we need to inquire into to get to know. But the Lord wants every one of us to ultimately come to a full knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Why do you study the Word of God? Why do you meditate on the Scriptures? Is it to fill your mind simply to impress others? Or is it unto getting to know the person of the Lord Jesus? Well, if it's unto the latter, you'll find the Spirit of God is more than willing for you to receive of Him to be able to understand the Word of God. So, as I mentioned in passing, we have this scripture in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27 that speaks to us of this matter of anointing. It says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. Isn't that an amazing statement? But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. One of the uh, glorious um, evidences that you've been born again of the Spirit of God is that you've known the Spirit of God open the Word up to you. And it may not be that each one of us has received to the same level of revelation, but nonetheless, you can look back and you can say, the Lord really opened my eyes to something of Christ in this particular passage. 
That's part of the blessing of being born again of the Spirit. You're given an anointing to have understanding of the Word of God and of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I note that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, there is an admonition to a particular church because they'd gone blind. And in verse 17 uh, 17 of chapter 3, to the church in Laodicea, we read these words, But thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Anoint thy hour. This is the counsel of the Lord to the church, really, in the last days. Get the eye salve. <laughs> it's available to you. To be able to see, to be able to perceive spiritually the things of God. To understand the ways of the Lord. Anoint thy eyes with eye salve. You know, we can become dim in our sight, can't we? Isn't this true? Haven't you found that there's times in your walk with the Lord where your vision, as it were, has got a bit blurred spiritually? Do you know what I mean? Uh, you, you feel that you've gone a little bit hazy. You're not seeing things spiritually. You're not, your perception isn't there in a way that it used to be there. The sharpness is gone. You believe the same things, but somehow you're not quickened in your spirit as you once were. You know, this can happen to any one of us in the kingdom of God. We've got to keep sharp our seeing. This was the counsel of the Lord to the church at Laodicea. Get the eye salve. Buy it. Now, of course, you can't buy the things of God with money, with gold or silver that decays. But by means of prayer, seeking the face of the Lord, coming to God in faith, you and I can know a fresh touch from the Lord upon our seeing, upon our hearing, our understanding. Go to the Lord while there's still time. Buy from Him. Have wisdom from God. Now is the time to buy. We don't know how many tomorrows we've got. We need to be able to receive from the Lord now. And the wonderful thing is, we can, because God counsels us to. He would never counsel us to receive of himself something that he wouldn't give to us. And the Lord will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him. We can know what it is to receive of the Lord. And we can know what it is to have this eye salve. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we can see in a way that perhaps we've gone a bit blurred. I think of Eli in the Old Testament. Eli was the high priest. And it's a very interesting passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel um, chapter 3, where, where we read about, Sam, about um, Eli lying down, and it was around the time that him and the young lad Samuel were going to sleep. And we read a little bit about Eli in this passage of Scripture that is quite telling. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. That means it was rare. There was no, there, listen to this, there was no open vision. In other words, there was no widespread revelation. It seemed to be missing. 
There wasn't the seeing amongst the people of God that there once was. And don't we find ourselves in a similar position today as the people of Israel found in those days? There seems to be little widespread revelation. You only have to go back a century or two, friends, to see the revelation that was in the house of God. There was great ministers of the word of God with ourselves to see things from the scriptures, things that in time had not even come to pass in their lifetimes. But they stood on the word of God and believed it because they saw it. They had revelation from God. Think of people like C.H. Spurgeon. They had eyes to see. They had revelation from God. C.H. Spurgeon believed that Israel would one day become a nation again. And that it would become a nation in one day because the scriptures say it was going to happen. Well, in Spurgeon's day, that was literally seeming impossible. But he saw with the eye of faith what was to come. He had revelation. He had eye salve, didn't he? Another one was J.C. Ryle. He had eye salve. They could see things. Spiritually, we're living in a day like the children of Israel in the time of Eli where there's no widespread revelation. And we need to begin to ask God, Lord, renew our seeing and understanding of the word of God. Not just in a kind of theoretical way, but in a spiritual living way where the spirit takes hold of the people of God and opens the word to them. That's what we need in our day. And it's so interesting that it goes on to say in verse 2, of chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was lied down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Now that's a very significant statement. You may rightly say in one sense to me, well that's just saying that he was old. His eyes were growing dim because he was old, but it represented a spiritual problem in Eli's life. Because even in chapter 2, when Hannah was before God praying, he misjudged the situation. And it's so easy to misjudge things because we look with the natural eye and perceive things naturally. And do not perceive things spiritually. Do not judge by appearance, friends, but judge with righteous judgment. We've got to discern the spirit behind things. And we've got to discern the word of God by means of the Spirit of God. Well, <coughs> Eli, his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Eli was elderly, his eyes had grown dim, and the lamp of God, which should never go out, was on the verge of going out. Dear friends, we find ourselves in a similar position today in our nation. Years ago, you had this amazing story of Ridley and Latimer, where they're both about to be burnt to the stake for the preservation of the gospel in our land against the dominant forces behind Roman Catholicism. And one of them says to the other, play the man, for we shall light a light in Britain that I dare to say will never go out. But that light is in danger of going out. We're losing light within the house of God. Not that we need to, but that we have. And we need spiritual perception again. We need the eyes to be opened again. And if you go back to actually... Uh, 
Ephesians chapter 1, you find that this is exactly what Paul goes on to speak of concerning eyes. He, he says in verse 17 that we just read about the Father of glory giving unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. But then he goes on to say in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You, you know, you can't see anything when the lights are out. Even if your eyes are open, you can't see if everything's dark. We need the light of revelation that comes by the Spirit. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This is what we need. So why, does Paul, why is Paul praying for this? He's praying that they may know revelation from God unto certain things which come up from verse 18. Firstly, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. That ye may know Ye is an old English word for meaning you plurally, if plurally is a word, <laughs> but plural. So uh, I like to make up my languages as I go along. But the fact is, it's plural language. Ye means you, you all, okay? And um, in this particular verse, he says that you all, in a sense, may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, if I came to you this morning, this afternoon. And I said to you, brother, sister, tell me, what has the Lord shown you about the hope of your calling through the scriptures? I wonder what you'd say. Hope is a very important word within the context of the New Testament. It appears time after time after time again. It was one eminent Bible teacher once said this, faith, hope, and love abide, but the weakest of these is hope. Which is a very clever play on words of faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. But it's often the weakest of these is hope. And you often find that many believers, particularly in our day, seem to be downtrodden, depressed, full of heaviness, and uh, because of situations and difficulties about us, and feel like bailing out. But one of the reasons that we often feel like this is because of a lack of epinosis, a lack of the full knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So often, the enemy is able to get in with fear because of imperfect knowledge. Do you understand what I mean? The enemy can always play on you and I's, you and my imperfect knowledge of the things of God. He comes in to try to bring destruction into our Christian life, doesn't he? Of course he does. He comes in to steal, to kill, and destroy. He doesn't want you having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. He wants to destroy it. That's his nature. And he wants to take the light out of your life. He wants to take the hope out of your life. He wants to destroy it. But if we only knew something of the nature of hope in the word of God, it would make a difference to us when we're going through difficulties in our Christian lives. 
We need to know what the hope of our calling is. That's why Paul's praying, to the church at Eph- praying for the church at Ephesus, that they may know what is the hope of their calling. He wouldn't be praying for that if it wasn't important. And it's important for you and I to know what is the hope of our calling. Did you know that the Lord has called you? When the Lord took hold of your life, he called you with a hope in mind. It wasn't just random. Forgive me for putting it like this. But the Lord didn't just say, I think I'll have Milko. And brought Milko to a saving knowledge of himself. And then Milko just floats along in his Christian life until the end. It's not thoughtless. When the Lord called you, he didn't only call you out of darkness. He did do that. He did do that. He called you out of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Praise God for that. He has called you out, but that wasn't all that was in mind when he saved you. He has called you to new birth, to be a new creation in the Lord Jesus. But that wasn't all that was in mind with the Lord when he called you. He called you with a specific hope in mind. This is what it says. What is the hope of his calling? So what is the hope? Of his calling. What has he called us to then? If it's not only the glorious matters of deliverance from darkness into light, new birth, not even only sanctification. There's an end. There's a hope that came with the effectual calling of God on your life. He called you and when he called you, he had in mind the end that he was going to bring you to before you even started. Many of us are interested in converts. We want to get people converted. But Jesus said, make disciples. There's something that we're coming unto. Very well, where is it mentioned in the word of God concerning the hope? Well, if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, please. And now we're touching on a mystery. Colossians chapter 1. You remember I said... That Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of God. And then he goes on to say the hope of his calling. You need revelation for the hope of his calling. Why is that? Because his calling and the hope of his calling has to do with a mystery. Now, we think of mystery as meaning something that we can never understand. You know, within society, we hear about something that happened and we can't work it out. And we just say to one another, it's a mystery. Can't work it out. But that is not what the Bible means by mystery. When the scriptures talk about mysteries, and there's various mysteries within the New Testament. There's the mystery of Christ. There's the mystery of the gospel. There's the mystery of Israel. There's the mystery of lawlessness. There's many mysteries mentioned within the word of God. But what it means is something that is hidden unto being revealed. 
But not everybody can understand the mysteries of God. You need the Spirit of God to unlock them to you. And I need the Spirit of God to unlock them to me. We rely on the same Spirit. And there's a mystery mentioned here. Colossians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 24. Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for, the, for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. In other words, in times past, this particular mystery that Paul's about to speak upon has been hidden by God from the people. But now is made manifest to his saints. Ah, the Lord's timing for everything is perfect. He knows what he's doing. But now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Ready for it? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now that is the hope of your calling. Glory. How many of us meditate upon these great superlatives? Glory. Think about glory. How can you put into words something that is glorious? Have you ever tried? When you've known something of the presence of the Lord, just in part, a little bit, to try to explain it in words is almost impossible, isn't it? You, whenever you try to put it into words, you almost bring the whole thing down. You, know, you reduce it down to language. And somehow you just can't do that. How do you explain glory to someone? Well, you can have a definition of glory. The Lord bless you. You can have a definition of glory that has nothing, well, that has something to do with the actual word, but doesn't define the actual subject matter. So I can say, glory from the Greek means this. It's, or it can speak of weight or something like that. But it won't affect you at all. But if the Lord is able to get hold of you and unveil something of the Lord Jesus to you, you will know what is meant by glory. But to define it, you'll find very difficult. We can define words in an academic way, but how do you define by language something spiritual in nature? You have to have experience of it. That is the important thing. We need the Lord to open our eyes. So here we are in Colossians 1 verse 27. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the hope of the believer is ultimately to come to glory. We find this again in Romans chapter 8. If you turn there with me, please, to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Where Paul speaks about God's dealings, the way he brings us, the Lord brings us to himself. 
For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, there it is. Now, notice this word, predestinate. What does it mean? It means to be marked out beforehand. Those who he marked out beforehand, them he also caught. Now, we are talking in Ephesians chapter 1 about the hope of his calling. And here you have something of how things run, as it were, in bringing us to God's eternal end for our lives. What his calling is concerning the hope. And whom he called, them he also justified. Justified means that you're considered as having no sin. You're made right in the sight of God. This matter of just, being made just in his sight. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, that is the hope of your calling. When the Lord laid hold of you, he didn't just see you as somebody he was bringing to an end of themselves and unto salvation. He saw the finished product. He saw what he was seeking to bring you to. And ultimately, it's the glory that the Lord mentions here in Romans 8. Another example is in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Again, Peter says a similar thing to what Paul mentioned in Romans 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and, he says, settle you. Now notice what it says. The God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. There you go. The writers together, Paul and Peter, one of the two main writers in the New Testament epistles, both clearly state that our calling as believers is unto glory. Then if you look back a little bit to Acts chapter 7, please. Acts chapter 7. And verse 2. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. This is when Stephen is about to give his discourse to the, uh, to the, uh, to the leaders... Of, and the council, the spiritual leaders who he was before, and he said in verse 2, And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said unto him, 
Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Now, what I want to make note of concerning these verses is this. When the Lord called Abraham, he was calling him out of what represented the world and ultimately to the promised land, what would be the land that the Israelites would come into later on in time. But notice within this passage the way that the Lord is addressed in his calling of Abraham. Always note things, friends. When you look at the word of God and you see, for example, the way that Lord, the particular name the Lord's given in a specific context, always note it because there's often a meaning behind the reason the Lord is called by that name. And here, it's no coincidence in verse 2, it says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out, and then led him out. But it was something of the God of glory that appeared to him. Now, when you look back at Ephesians 1 and you read the context about coming, coming to the verse about the hope of his calling, you read previously that the Lord is called the Father of glory. So in Ephesians 1, it says the Father of glory. In Acts chapter 7, we read about the God of glory. When the Lord comes to us and saves us, it is with glory in mind. The Lord didn't simply call you to a beginning. He called you in a hope that one day you would reach glory. And not only that, but if you look back at the previous verse we looked at in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, you realize that we were predestined according to God's foreknowledge to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so the predestined purpose of God was to bring us to conformity to the image of his Son. And in the very next verse, he shows us it is to bring us to glory. So what is it? Does the Lord ultimately want us to bring us to glory? Or does the Lord ultimately want to bring us to conformity of his Son? The answer is both. <laughs> because you can't have one you can't have one without the other. We read in Colossians chapter 3, Christ is our life. Christ who is our life. When he appears, then we shall appear with him in glory. There it is again. So dear friends, this is something of the meaning of what is the hope of our calling. And it's so important that you keep before your eyes this hope. Keep it in your heart. Why? Because the enemy is going to come along to try to discourage you in your walk with God. Haven't you found this? 
And one of the things that he does is try to get you depressed. When you're depressed, you're showing something. You know, you're showing that there's something of an absence of hope about you. Don't you find that actually when you're depressed, you're not feeling full of hope, are you? No, it's because we say, I'm feeling depressed, things seem hopeless, don't we? And we see in our society round about us so many people walking about who seem so absolutely hopeless, don't they? You see the deadness in their eyes. But as children of God, born again of the Spirit, we need to have before us the revelation of the hope of His calling so that as we travel through this life, we're able to endure it. Because it's the hope that will get you through. It's the hope that enables you to keep going in the immediate. This is the thing we need to bear in mind. Now, do you remember what the Word of God says concerning the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2? The Scriptures say this, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Now you say, well, that's the joy that was set before him. It doesn't say the hope that was set before him. Well, don't you think the hope is the joy? Or the joy is the hope? It means the same thing. The Lord was looking beyond the cross, wasn't he? And he was seeing what was to come. And ultimately that he would be in glory, but ultimately that he would bring many sons to glory. There was a joy awaiting him the other side of the cross. Now, the Word of God shows us that in this life, we as Christians will suffer persecution. I don't want to depress you um, and make you feel unhappy, but there's going to be times in your Christian life where things are hard. There's going to be times when things are going to cut across your heart so hard. And you're going to feel as though your heart is cut in two over things. The more you go on with the Lord, the, the closer you stay with Jesus, you find you lose friends. <laughs> It's the authentic way of the Lord Jesus. How many friends did he have by the time he got to the cross? None. You'll find as you walk on with the Lord, people will shed themselves of you. <laughs> oh, he's a little bit extreme. She's a little bit too serious about the Christian faith. It was all right before, but now she's just, oh, she's just too serious. Talks about the Bible all the time. It's okay to talk about the Bible, but let's be honest. There's so many other things in life that are just so much better. You know that kind of attitude? Sorry, I'm getting into the flesh a bit. Aren't I? Apologies. But this is what happens to us, dear friends. We find ourselves in a place whereby we're considered too serious if you go on with the Lord. Friends, you will have difficulties in this life as you go on with the Lord. And go on with him at his pace. Don't try and copy anybody else. Just be where the Lord is for you. And uh, that will take the striving out of your Christian walk. But as you walk with the Lord, you find it does become lonely in some ways. But the amazing thing, the Lord will provide for you in your loneliness. He will provide for you in your loneliness in a way that you could have never dreamt of. I'm telling the truth. 
Walk with Jesus and he makes it all worthwhile. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Go to God. Jesus knows our every weakness. Be with him though. Don't forsake him. Stay with him. And you'll find in your loneliness, then the Lord will be there. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your consolations delight my soul. Psalm 94. He leads us by waters of rest. He restores our soul. I've never known a greater, greater physician than Jesus. He heals the brokenhearted. He comes to you when you're dry and you're empty and the world has taken over your soul and you feel that you can't come to the Lord and he gives you a verse in the middle of the book of Revelation and brings you back to your first love. You've heard it this morning. Jesus, who for the hope that was set before him, endured. But notice what it says also in Psalm 16 and verse 9 about the Lord Jesus. Psalm 16 and verse 9. Verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. What a statement. I set the Lord before me how often in the day? All the time. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope. Yeah? My flesh will also rest in hope. For thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus. Then he goes on to say this. Thou will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There it is. The joy is there because the hope is there. My, the Lord could give his body up, his spirit up to the, the Father. And it rested in hope, knowing, knowing in the hope, the joy that was set before him. Brothers and sisters, you may be going through tribulation, through trials now at work. And some of you, dear friends, you face a lot harder things in different ways than I face. Because you're in the workplace, you hear the cursing, you hear the swearing every day. You hear the blaspheming, you have the mocking about you in a way that I don't have. In a way you're on the front line in a way that I'm not. You have to face it every day. One of the reasons I like to go out on the streets with Russell on a weekday when I can and Linda is because I get to be with unbelievers because I don't always get the opportunity in the same way. That, but you're on the front line and you are going to find it difficult to stand increasingly in the days ahead, aren't you? That's why it's so important that you know what the hope of your calling is so that you set that ever before you. In the midst of your trial now, realize the hope is the Lord is bringing you to glory. And when you go through trials, you're actually building up for yourself an even greater and eternal weight of glory, according to Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> the, 
your suffering is working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And there we are depressed with it all. And naturally we are. But remember, every time you're suffering for the sake of Christ, there's increase in heaven. This is wonderful, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you're encouraged. In the Word of God goes on to say this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, this is really important, friends. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. You need to have this hope set before you because the enemy is coming to discourage some of you. You're walking with the Lord. You've got a tender conscience and the enemy is trying to knock you down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 7, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunk are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It doesn't just say, as for a helmet, your salvation, but as for a helmet over your head, the hope of salvation. You see, if the hope of salvation covers your mind, it will deliver your mind from being under the assault of the evil one. That's why it's called the hope. The hope. Notice this verse again. Verse 8. The hope of salvation for a helmet. Have you got it on? Are you wearing it? Or do you just let the helmet Fall to the ground and just allow the, the arrows of the enemy to pervade your thinking and keep pervading your thinking until you're miserable and you're down and you're full of depression and unbelief because you've allowed those thoughts to just get in. They've become your meditation and you just think everything is hopeless. But you've got to say with the psalmist, hope thou in God. Say to yourself, I will hope in God. His word is sure. He's faithful to his promises. Put that helmet on your head and don't allow the arrows of the enemy to taunt you any longer. Now it says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 something very important about this matter of hope. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Let's read from verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a, a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice verse 19. The hope you have is an anchor for your soul. What is the soul in the word of God? It speaks of the area of the mind, the will, the intellect, the emotions. That's all combined in the understanding of what the scriptures mean by soul. And you need that anchored because at times, if you and I are just led away by our feelings, we can find ourselves all at sea, can't we? When our feelings take over, 
when we don't lay hold of the fact we have this hope for an anchor to get us grounded and rooted so we're not just bashed about by every wind of doctrine. And all to God that we would begin to ask the Lord for that revelation of this hope in our own lives, this calling of God, this holy calling, this calling not only to a beginning but unto a wonderful end, the very glory that the Lord wants to produce in every one of our lives if we're born again of the Spirit this morning. Oh, what a wonderful thing this is. This is an anchor. And you'll find that the anchor that the Lord provides for you cannot be shaken. You know, you can't uproot things of God. (laughs) Because you can't uproot God. (laughs) Are you founded on the Lord? I'm not saying, have you got nice feelings about God? I'm saying, are you laying hold on the hope of his calling this morning? I'm talking about fact. I'm talking about reality. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about, are you resting yourself upon the sure hope of the word of God? We have this as an anchor for the soul. So when the enemy comes in and contests the work of God in my life and seeks to bring me to unbelief and brings a storm upon my life and upsets everything about me, this ship is anchored in the truth that the hope of God is absolutely immovable. And it will stand, and I will be able to make it to glory, because God has called me. That's the truth of the matter. Now, that's faith. We need to be living in this. Coming towards an end, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What a wonderful statement that is, isn't it? I want to ask you this morning, are you beholding the Lord? Are you beholding something of the Lord? Listen, Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Do you know something of that glory? Are you beholding, not with the natural eye, but with the eye of faith, something of that glory that the Lord is ultimately calling you to? Is that becoming your meditation? Are you seeing with the eye of faith? Is your focus on the Lord Jesus and you see him there standing in something of his radiance and his glory? If you see something of the glory of the Lord with the eye of faith, your face is going to light up. It will do. It will do. <laughs> we'll get some of you happy one day, eh? Come on. This is the word of God. This is what the scriptures say. Beholding, so many of us are looking inward. Oh, what's my heart like? I've been just doing this all the time. You know, gazing at what we're like. And then the enemy says, well, you know you're all for. And then you have to say, well, yes, I am. And of course, that gets you nowhere, doesn't it? Haven't you found out that looking into yourself doesn't produce anything? Except for condemnation. Because of yourself, there's nothing you can do. And in yourself there dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good in and of ourselves. Our only goodness is the Lord. So we need to look away from ourselves. Yes, the enemy comes and he points at us and he says, you're this and you're that and you're the other. What if you want to run in commentary from the enemy on your life and make that your meditation? You can do so, but why would you? Why would you if you have the hope of his calling? 
Why would you look inward when the Lord says, look away from yourself and look to me? We're to behold him in something of his glory, in something of his radiance. Oh, friends, the whole point that the Lord Jesus died for us is so that our sins could be blotted out and we could be new creations in the Lord Jesus. So that we're not looking inward into ourselves. We're looking unto Christ, away to him. And you can look at him with that unveiled face, without shame of face. They looked to him and were radiant. And were radiant. I remember the story the rich and word brand gave that I've mentioned before. But I don't know whether it's here or whether it's at Three Mile Cross Church, so forgive me. But it's worth telling for a third time. When Richard Wormbrand was in prison in communist uh, Romania, he was in prison with a whole group of different classes of people. The intelligentsia people were there, uh, middle class people, and what were called the peasants. Not all of the people in the prisons were Christian. Some of them were actually part of communism, but in communism they end up fighting with each other. They threw some of them in prison. And so there were atheists in the prison. And there was a man who was coming towards the end of his life as he felt it because he was in prison. And uh, as a Christian, he, was, he had it really in his heart to bring the gospel to one of these chaps who was an intelligent man, a scientist, and tell him the gospel and see him converted. That was his deep desire. And he went up to one of these men and says, I believe in Jesus. And this man says, you believe in Jesus, where is your Jesus? Well, my Jesus is in heaven, but he looks after me. Well, if he's in heaven, how can he look after you? you know, just rubbished everything he said. And he said to him, well, what does your, Lord, what does your Jesus do? Well, my Jesus speaks to me. Oh, he speaks to you. Yes, yes, he speaks to me. And what else? Well, your next thing you're going to tell me is that your Jesus smiles at you. And the man said, yes, he does. And this man said, oh, how ridiculous. How can you say that Jesus smiles at you? Ridiculous. And then he said, okay, go on then. Show me how he smiles. So this man smiled at him. And the moment he smiled at him, his face was transfigured. And a shining came upon him. And this scientist said, your God smiles at you. Your God is real. It's the shining on your face that is a witness as much as your words. But if you're not beholding the glory of the Lord with unveiled face, and you're always looking into yourself, how are you going to find peace? Haven't you found that the gospel tells you to look away from yourself? Blessed be the Lord. Let's look to him with unveiled faces and by God's grace have courage to say I'm being done with condemnation. The Lord will convict me of sin when it comes but I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Everything changes when you get your eyes on the Lord. How are we going to finish this message? A sigh of relief comes over everybody. I think, yes, it's coming to an end. Just hang in there. I know, I know. 
I do purpose sometimes not to speak for long, but then I just get so excited about what I'm talking about that you can't help it. And then people get upset, but I just my, my ways, I'm afraid. Um, the Word of God says in 1 John 3, 3, He who has this hope purifies himself. What's an evidence that you've got this hope actually dwelling in you? It's that you actually purify your life. You know where you're going. So there's a purification process going on. You're being changed. And you're being changed from one degree of glory to another. You say, I don't think I can make it. The glory of the Lord, it's impossible. I agree. It is impossible. The calling is too high. We can't do it. Hallelujah. (laughs) That means that only the Lord can get me to glory. That's all. He's the only one that can get me to glory. I can't do it. There's too many bad things. I'm not able to do it of myself. The glory of the Lord, it's impossible. It is impossible, but it's possible with the Lord. All things are possible with God. Now notice in the passage that I read to you, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, I'm just speaking a little quicker to get to the end. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10, it says, But the God of all grace, who has called you unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Notice what he says, the God of all grace. How are you going to ever get to get to the glory of God? Ever. How is it possible? By the grace of God, he will get you there. Because when the Lord calls you by name, he means business. He called you not to a start only. He called you to get you. Right through to the place where one day you're beautifully conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus and there's no trace of sin at all left in your life for all eternity. That's salvation, friends. That is salvation. It's amazing, isn't it? What an amazing God we have. Friends, I'm with John Newton who said this. I only know two things. I'm a terrible sinner. But Jesus is an amazing saviour. Amazing saviour. Not only can he save me from my sin, he can save me to the uttermost. And he will do it. He will do it. To the point that one day body, soul and spirit be preserved. And we will be like the Lord. And we'll see him. Without any sin. Anything left that mars. And the glory will go all to him. And we will say, Lord, it is all of your grace. It's to the praise of the glory of your grace. Let us pray. Lord, we've spoken a long time today. Please forgive me for anything out for myself. But we ask that you would encourage and arm the saints of God with this truth. You have called them with the hope that is an eternal hope. It's not a wishful hope. It's a sure hope. And we thank you we can trust you. Oh Lord, we want to say our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of our own we claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.